Hi there, you're listening to FNB Soundbites, a podcast where we cover hot topics, trends, and challenges of interest to professionals in the engine room behind the food and beverage industry. I'm your host, Hamish McCook. Today, I'm joined by Kim Featherstone. So Kim works with me very closely in um, our food and life sciences business. And Kim is always exploring the edges, the frontiers of our business to help us uncover new sectors, new clients, new areas of interest for Becca. So welcome, Kim. Thanks, Hamish. Good to be here. You thought we should talk about something that we saw last week that might be of interest to people. Yeah, we've always got a little bit of an eye on the future in the food and beverage industry, food and life sciences industry. And we received an invitation from Roy Johnson at Black & Veatch to attend the Cellular Agriculture Asia Summit, an online webinar that was attended by people all over the world, actually, on cellular agriculture. And we thought we would give you guys a bit of a rundown on what we heard. We're going to flip it around a little bit. I'm going to ask some of the questions this time of you, Hamish. Um, It'll be interesting for me. (laughs) (laughs) So really, just for our listeners, first of all, cellular agriculture, what is it? What is it? I know. Well, I'm just going to come up one level again, actually. Alternative proteins has three sort of broad groups. And, and you know, these are effectively the, the overall grouping is anything other than the traditional meat, dairy, eggs, traditional protein, where an animal is heavily involved in the production of the protein to something that has an absence of animals. So plant-based and fermented and in this really new area, cellular agriculture. And so that's what we went to the webinar about. So cellular agriculture is taking an animal cell, ideally without harming the animal in any way, and cultivating that, growing that in fermentation reactors or some other means to create a animal flesh product It looks and tastes and smells exactly like animal flesh because it actually is animal flesh. So this whole cell ag thing or lab meat, as some have called it, is really just trying to create a new way of creating some of those traditional protein sources. I guess one of the big questions that comes up for me to start with is why? Why are we creating it? Why are we doing this? I know. why Because it's actually really difficult. So why go to all the time and expense and uncertainty. Well, you know, the big drivers here are sustainability. So we've got a growing population. There's a Mm. concern that we don't have the resources to be able to sustainably feed the population. And also, of course, the obvious around, you know, trying to reduce animal harm. So companies are looking to create a new way of creating the same product experiences for consumers in a way that ideally, ultimately, would be more sustainable. Now, that's a big challenge, and I don't think they're there yet, but it seems like from the webinar, um, there's a number of companies that are heavily engaged, getting a lot of funding, and they're um, working down that pathway, definitely. One of the first companies we heard from was a company out of Singapore, I think, called Just Meat, who'd actually just uh, had their first commercial sale. Um, Yeah, that's pretty exciting, isn't it? Yeah. It was good, yeah. We we saw um, photographs of the evening at the restaurant where they were serving chicken tenders, I think it was. And yeah, people were eating them and taking photographs of them with their cell phones, of course. <laughs> it's quite an auspicious event. And they've actually had a lot of consumer feedback subsequently and very, very strong, positive consumer feedback that they really can't tell the difference between these products and traditional chicken tenders. So they're after a great start. Yeah, so obviously it is just starting. There's been the first commercial sale, but yeah. 
we're a long way off, I think, from starting to see it on the shelf yeah. in the supermarket. Um, yeah, there are a number of challenges that need to be overcome to get there. What are we seeing? Yeah, you're right. A lot of challenges, a long way to go, but they're putting a lot of energy into it. One of the challenges, I think, something that we discussed before this is that ick factor from a product that's made in a lab doesn't sound familiar. And I think you know, there, there seem to be a general consensus that that will resolve itself with more information, more awareness, and probably as many things that are relatively new in their cycle, there will be people that will be early adopters and they'll really help to help others as well to understand it and make it more acceptable. But then if we sort of turn away from the consumer aspect where there's still going to be some you know, initial resistance, I'm sure, into the technical and um, feasibility aspects, scale is a biggie. So mm. these companies are still working in very small scale fermenters at the moment where they're trying to build a flesh analog that you know, there'll be some sort of scaffolding technology and it's still very small and expensive scale. So getting that scaled up, the technology behind the mechanics and maintaining the same sort of product properties at a scaled up facility, that's a challenge, let alone the capital cost of doing that as well. So that's a big challenge. And and, and on the scale aspect, there was some discussion around utilization of contract manufacture. You know, there are a bunch of companies out there that will contract manufacture nutraceutical, pharmaceutical type products. And I think that the fermenters and similar sort of equipment can be used by those companies to make some of these cell ag products. So that's one pathway to scale up. Additionally, I think the media is expensive and they're still working to have media that are free of any bovine serum. So there's a cost element there and a source element for the media that the cells have to grow in, which is being worked through. And ultimately, there's the challenge for any product they're producing of making something that actually tastes nice mm. and ideally tastes like the meat product that they're trying to replicate. A bunch of challenges there. And it's going to take a lot of investment. Yeah, interesting. So obviously we talked about Singapore having that first yeah. commercial sale, but are we seeing it in anywhere else in the world at the moment? Who's actually getting involved? Who's taking the lead? Yeah, you're right. So Singapore, Israel as well, and also sort of San Francisco area where there's that real startup culture. Maybe the commercial nexus could be San Francisco, but the, the R&D technology research seems to be in Israel and Singapore. Now, interesting that why Israel and why Singapore? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, very small countries. I think um, for both of them, they've got a food security problem and you know, they're working through that. In the case of Singapore, the government's committed to achieving a 30% food self-sustainability by 2030. And that's a massive challenge because it's such a tiny island nation. So they're doing that by the government getting really heavily involved in supporting these startups and, and actually, in the case of Singapore, enabling regulation so that these new food products can be created and sold. So it just having their first sale, that, that wouldn't have been possible were it not for the Singapore government facilitating the regulation such that cellular proteins can be considered a, a food product. It's always been a fantastic place for food companies. There's a lot of global multinationals in Singapore as well. But the diet in that part of the world, it's protein heavy and a lot of different proteins as well. So maybe a more adventurous populace prepared to get involved. Yeah. So we've got regulatory changes. They've started working on the uh, public perception, I suppose, of consuming products like this and working on the issues of scaling up. 
in terms of actual industry players, who do we see really getting involved and really driving this forward to a commercial outcome? Initially, there are the companies that are, are built to take risk, which is the Eat Just, the Memphis Meats, the, the Mosa Meats, the, the companies that are young, they've been venture capital funded, and they'll be exploring the frontiers. And so I don't know which of those will create a dominance there, but certainly Eat Just has, has made a great start by getting going with that first commercial sale. And Memphis Meats, I think they raised $180 US million, and Mosa $75 million in the last year. So... You know, venture capital funding will continue and we'll, we'll see some companies growing in scale and potentially see some IPOs as well in that sector. So it could be that some of those companies start to make a real impact. But the other part is that we've got these traditional meat companies who are going to be getting involved in investing in as well. So um, you know they've already got a lot of the infrastructure required for a meat supply business, which includes the packing, the cold storage, and the distribution, the relationships with the retailers and food service. Mm So if we play this out a little bit further, I can see a lot of established companies, the bigger ones, getting involved in this as a bit of a natural hedge, but also as a future product category for them to be selling through their channels to consumers ultimately. Which of those companies will be most successful? It's anybody's guess at this stage. It's so new. So if you're, a, if you're a traditional food and beverage company um, looking at the salient agriculture industry, what really is the takeaway for them at the moment? That's a great question, actually, because everybody listening to this is probably from the traditional yeah. food and beverage sector. So you're right. I mean, my advice would be just get interested, get involved, see what's going on and see if your organisation can start getting some form of involvement in this so that you can understand what's going on because it's, it's coming, but also it might be a great investment for the future as well to extend product lines in your business. Those are the sorts of things I'd recommend for companies. Great. And just really one final question, Hamish, do you think the industry has the required skill set for, for what the future looks like? I, I, I think yes and no. <laughs> food industry is so well set up for getting safe, hygienic, delicious, fresh food to consumers quickly across the globe, without a doubt. But the technologies that are being employed here to make these cultivated meats or cellular egg, those technologies are coming really from pharma. So I I think you can't just play a food and beverage process into this. So yeah, there will be a lot of new skill sets required, more pharmaceutical skill sets required in that process area. Outside that, yeah, absolutely a lot of applicable skill sets. But I do think an opportunity for all of us is to learn a bunch more stuff around um, how these new food products are going to get made. And I think actually I'm really excited about this for our food industry because it's um, suddenly creating something new in the industry. So an opportunity for the food industry to pivot towards something that's growing really fast, it's slightly higher tech. So it's a very exciting time, I think, for us all. Great. Thanks very much, Hamish. That was incredibly interesting. Thanks as well, Kim. We'll just have to see what the audience feedback is on this podcast, because if it's really strong and positive, then we might have a new podcast host. <laughs> so thanks <laughs> thanks for doing me out of a job there, Kim. No, it was really good. And thanks very much for doing all the heavy lifting by asking those pointed questions. <laughs> And for our listeners, thanks very much for listening in. We are going to have some links attached to this on the website. So 
just click and search through. And if you're like me, you'll go down a, a rabbit hole of all these different websites you can find. But um, hey, it's, it's interesting stuff and it's part of our core business, folks. It's the food industry. And until we meet again, we'll say uh, goodbye. And as we say here in New Zealand, hi da da. Thank you.